Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the Squawker Talker podcast. I'm your host, Greg Johnson. And joining me today for a pre-season special, we're going to talk about transfers and all the preparation that clubs are doing ahead of the new season, is uh, Greg Stober. How are you doing, Greg? I'm very good. Thank you, Greg. Very good. Very good. And also, Mohamed Butt. How are you, man? Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty good. The heat is on. The heat is on. In some ways, the heat is also on for the Premier League's top six. Preseason is upon us. Teams have been playing. Uh, the big results this week have been United and Liverpool both beating Wigan 2 0, basically in the space of two days, Saturday and Sunday. And Chelsea losing 2 0 to Rapid Vienna in their first game of, uh, of preseason. Um, how much can we read in, into these kind of first results of preseason? Is it just friendlies? Are there other conclusions you can draw, Greg? Not particularly, Greg. If you think back to Van Gaal's first preseason when United did pretty well and then look what happened as soon as the season started, they lost to Swansea that year. You can never learn a lot. A manager can learn a lot, coaching, and it's all about the fitness, the training ground, the tactical philosophies, the games, genuinely, and more and more. I know you've got the International Champions Cup and all this kind of stuff, Mm. and they try and make it serious, but it's all about fitness, building something, and the coaches don't really care about the results, to be honest. Mo, um, one of the players that stood out in the Man United match in particular was um, Henry Mkhitaryan. And just going back yeah. to Stobes' point on you know, pre-seasons gone by, especially yeah, the Van Gaal yeah. one when Ander Herrera joined the club. I remember there was a game where United absolutely spanked. I think it was even MLS All-Star team or LA Galaxy, I'm not quite sure which, but Herrera got like five assists. It was just through ball after through ball each time. Yeah. Is there a worry that maybe, you know, after showing a bit of glamour against Wigan, maybe we're going to overrate Mkhitaryan, or is he the real deal? Uh, well, there, there is a, both. I think both are true. I think there's definitely a risk of thinking, oh my God, he's amazing, because he, you know, he has to deal with the physicality of the Premier League, and it, that, that does hit like a ton of bricks. You know, Memphis still, a year on, hasn't really got to grips with it. Mm. So um, we need to, you know, he's done well against Wigan, but let's not, ex- that, he might do it again, right away from the Premier League, but you need to be ready to say that, okay, he might need a couple of months to adapt to the, the literal physical style of the Premier League, but... He is class. He's pure class. I think the benefit for Mictarian and a few of the others is in a tournament year, it's always so messy mm. preseason. Yeah. He's got a full preseason under Mourinho to get on the table to settle in on and off the pitch. And that will really help because you look at some clubs, you know, Arsenal, some of their guys aren't going to be coming back until a week before the start of the season. It's always really difficult. But if you can get a full preseason now in like Mictarian, it's really going to help. Yeah. And obviously, it's hard to really know what's going to happen with. Mourinho's Man United because a lot of, as you say a lot of the players that were in the tournaments this summer they're not actually in the squads Chris Morgan hasn't arrived so Bailly and Blind have looked good together on Saturday but will they be the pair when he comes back Zlatan hasn't come back into the team yet Rooney's still out Marcus Rashford Mo what, what do you think is going to be the kind of how, how are they going to come into this team I mean and- that's the thing isn't it that's the, it's, it was nice watching United uh, play with a sense of uh, intent against uh, you know and had to try and score a goal it was very nice first time shots as well you know, all that stuff was fantastic. The shots weren't necessarily good, mind you, but you know, uh, but it was so. It's so hard to judge uh, that team purely because the entire shape of the side didn't work. Because Wilson is a James Wilson is a fast forward. He tied up front, very quick, very nippy. Gets gets on the shoulder, but he's not strong at all. He's about five stone soaking through. <laughs> you know, he's just uh, out muscle too easy. Put Zlatan up there changes the entire dynamic of the side. So 
it's really, I mean, Stokes is right. It's just so hard to judge. Mm. And they have to got beat by the same score. And again, by Liverpool, um, Gary Caldwell put out a different team. because he. <laughs> I mean, in his press conference after the game, he did say that, you know, this is more an experience thing. They weren't really expecting everything in these games. And I think they're actually quite happy they contain the scoreline to just 2-0. I mean, I was at the Man United game and I'll be honest with you, United didn't really have to put that much effort in to actually get the scoreline they did yeah. in the end. Um, but I mean, one team that didn't get over their first hurdle was Chelsea. Uh, they lost 2-0 in Vienna to Rapid Vienna. Mo, I know you watched the game. What were yeah. the main things you took from Antonio Conte's debut? I mean, th- they need to sign centre-halves, plural. Uh, John Terry, um, I mean, John Terry will get better as, as he gets more fitness because he's like 60 years old. But he's still, <laughs> you know, the, the first goal Rapid Vienna scored, it was it looked like Barcelona. They, they, you know, and Chelsea has absorbed Conte's tactics very well already. They're very. So are you saying that Chelsea made them look like Barcelona or they actually are No, they made them look <laughs> yeah. like Barcelona. I was going to say, I was going to no, say. No, no, no. It was yeah. Chelsea. They've already absorbed the tactics. The Conte taught, taught they're very compact, they very like Italy. It's uh, compressed space between the lines, compressed the space pitch horizontally, so they were constantly moving to one side of the pitch. But yet, when Rafa, Rafa Viana got the ball between their midfield and defence, John Terry and Papi Gilabodji had no idea what to do, and that's a real problem. They need more defensive leaders. I think even with those players, it might improve. Given Conte started on Wednesday and the game was Saturday, mm. so he didn't exactly have a long time. I know he's been doing; he's one of the managers who's doing double training sessions, but didn't have a lot of time. That might improve, but certainly agree with Mo on the centre back thing. I mean, we're already in a situation where Kurt Zuma is Chelsea's most important centre back, and he's yeah. he's injured and very young as well. Mm. They 20, really 20, 21 years old, I think. Yeah. It's 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 a really Weird situation because the thing is none of the none of their defenders you could really say you rely on uh, Gary Cahill, John Terry, Papagiela, Boji, uh, Matt Miazga is complete unknown. He might actually be really good, but you know it's no nothing proven. They desperately need, I think, two centers: one to start next to Zuma and one to be their primary backup. Because as much as as the, the rest of their side actually f- will get better, as Stobe says, they'll get. You can see how they'll get better with more time learning Conte's system. And when you get Ed Nazar back, once you get um, an actual striker next to Diego, Diego Costa, it changes everything. But Centre halves, I think, is a problem they need to address. Did he play four four two? No, it was four four one one. Ruben off the street played off Diego Costa, but he was very high. It was it was clearly they were clear separate lines. But yeah, Ruben off the street playing an attacking role. I mean, it's something you touched on in a previous pod where Mourinho put him in was like a number ten position and then kind of dismissed him for not yeah. quite being good enough. Is is that something you think Conte was just experimenting with, or do you, I, do you reckon you could see that might be his role? I think it's there. Was, uh, every other striker wasn't there. I think it, yeah. it's that probably is what what was going on there. He he just had no other players. I mean, he could play there. He's he's a talented pl- footballer, but. Uh, I would imagine that Conte has a preference for two strikers, and I think that's what we'll see again. Michi Batshuayi, they paid an awful lot of money for him. And Diego Costa, they paid a lot of money for him two years ago. I think they'll unite the two up front. Yeah, the plan is, actually, people at Chelsea saying the plan is a 4-4-2 or variations Mm. thereof. So I think it's more getting players to play the system rather than fitting a system around players. Yeah, I think I, I see it's, you said 4-4-2 and I agree, uh, now that's obviously the plan, but I have a feeling they're going to have they might have to at some point adapt to 3-5-2 because I can't see 4-4-2 really having uh, uh the necessary coverage in midfield with uh, if you put once you put Cesc Fabregas in there, once you put if you have Kanté and Matic in there, that's a lot of legs and that that's going to cover a lot of ground, but if you put Cesc in there with either of those guys, I think suddenly you become a little bit lightweight and you know maybe you want to put Cesc in there Midfield three, but then to do a midfield three with a front two, need to hit the back. But, but again, hang on, it hang all on. comes back to needing centre backs. But yeah, I was going to say you need some very good centre backs to play the three five two. Our Conte likes it. And yeah, I, you know, I don't think Chelsea. As no, we, we just, as we just no, said, this is what I'm saying. They need to buy centre backs. Mm. This is what I'm, I'm saying. Mm. I'm, 
if if you look at Sesk and Kante, it's not too dissimilar to Drinkwater and Kante last season. I think they're already putting a awful lot of stock in what Kante is going to do with his legs, his energy, his reading of the game. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see how it all, all turns out, as with all these teams going through preseason. We might be seeing an evolution in the weeks to come. Um, but just as a general point, Stobes, um, we saw Jurgen Klopp come into the Premier League at Liverpool um, midway through the season last year. Um, and the change in Liverpool's style of play and their intensity, and they just looked like they had more of an idea what they were doing very quickly. And people were quite surprised at how how sudden the effect of Klopp as a manager was coming in. You were saying there earlier, like Conte's just been in the job for, what, a week or so? And he's already clearly, you know, his ideas are being learned. Um, is, is the kind of tactical side of pre-season bigger than ever in, in football? Yeah, it's, it's massive. I mean, it's so important for a star, <laughs> let's be honest. And, you know, yeah. back in the day, maybe we coaches in England didn't quite realise that. But now you've got... It was all dune runs and fitness training yeah, cross-country, exactly. wasn't right. it? Yeah. I mean, the days of running through the woods are long gone. <laughs> I mean, a lot of teams are doing double training sessions, you know, Tottenham, Chelsea. Uh, I'm not sure that's particularly a sensible way to go. You know, our friend Raymond Verhagen will tell us that. <laughs> you know, I actually think Wenger's actually playing it quite well by giving the likes of Alexis Sanchez... Laurent Koscielny a lot of rest over the summer because it's been a long year for a lot of these players but yeah a lot of it's the the tactical drilling the nuances combined with the fitness which is why Conte's doing the double sessions he's doing the tactical work in the morning and then they're doing fitness in the afternoon that's the that's the essential part the main part of pre-season is, is preparing your team that's why Louis van Gaal made such a fuss about about uh, the tours uh, at Man United he wanted time to prepare his team which means time on the training pitch with them to teach them his thing now, of course, as it turns out, Louis van Gaal maybe could have used a little bit less time with his players and they might have actually had some freedom. But, you know, with uh, with actual, with man, you know, yeah, essentially you need time on the field, you need time on the training field to really impart your ideas. And so that's 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 key. We're just looking at the fixture list for the, the big teams. It's quite noticeable that City are playing far less games than anybody else. I think it's, it's, it's four or five that they're doing compared to yeah. a lot of other teams. Is, is that a sign that Pep is taking the training aspect, uh, the training opportunity of preseason much more seriously than other people? I mean, obviously, he's seen as this very like, conceptual coach that oh, you yeah. know, created these big systems that did lots of amazing things at, at Bayern and Barcelona. Is he going to need that time to really hit the ground running with City then? I mean, absolutely. Man City are a squad, as a squad, as, as currently composed. They couldn't even, they took an entire season to learn 3-5-2 and then didn't <laughs> learn 3-5-2 from uh, Roberto Mancini. They, they need time to be taught things uh pep has a lot of uh, a lot of concepts that he that are actually simple once you learn them but until you learn them they're very they can seem complex and he needs time on the training field it's no no surprise to me that he's he's minimized the amount of traveling the amount of uh game time he wants more and more as much time on the pit training pitch as possible to teach these players that these concepts the key concepts and to work on shape and to work on 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 fundamentals of play Stokes, I know you've been up in Manchester recently, you know, do what you do as a reporter, <laughs> trying to find some stories. And um, what have you heard about um, coming from the City camp in terms of their preparations and what they're kind of really focusing on this summer to get right for the season ahead? I think, I mean, a, a lot of the message from City has actually been business as usual. They don't want to change yeah. too much. Mm. You know, he's not come in and got rid of all the medical staff or made sweeping changes. And he's not actually dismantled the squad quite as much as some of us might have expected. Mm. I think they're actually aiming for this continuity. I think one thing we will see is he will certainly some of the academy kids will travel with the squad and they'll be training daily with the squad because A, it's a massive part of City's plan to mm. bring through the academy kids and also Pep wants them involved. They, he wants Aguero playing with 
the next big thing coming through from the academy. So that's the big thing for them, I think. And how do you think that, as, as Mo brought up before, how do you think that compares to Van Hall? And also Mourinho, in, in, in summers gone by, there's been a bit of a tension between like the commercial activities of the club wanting to go on tour to all these places and spread the brand and the actual opportunity to do the actual work on the training field to get the team prepared. Well, I think most managers say they understand you've got to strike a balance. I mean, one of the problems with Van Gaal was he thought he knew better than everyone else. So he's telling, he was trying to tell the club secretary where they've got to stay, where they've got to train. <laughs> and it ended up making the journeys worse. That's why, you know, I think it was David Moyes who had them out stretching on the beach one one season, didn't he? But, yeah. you know, obviously you've got to find the balance and United are probably the worst. They see the opportunity in Amilka and, you know, we know they're going, I think they've already gone off to China now. Looking back, it benefits clubs when they don't have to do that. I mean, mm. for our, for years and years, Arsenal resisted going to the Far East or going to America because Wenger used to... I think you used to go to Austria. They used to do a pre-season camp then and get ready for the season. And eventually, Wenger had to give in to the commercial demands. But you look back at Chelsea two years ago, the one year they got their transfer business done early when they signed Diego Costa, Cesc Fabregas, and they didn't go trekking around the world. They went to Austria and they absolutely ran away with the league and it was mm. done by Christmas. Well, same with Leicester as well last season. They, they, I don't think they were the only team that didn't go abroad to do their pre-season. Yeah. And look what happened. I mean, clearly there were more things at play in that season than yeah, a good no, pre-season. It's, it's, a huge, it's a huge thing not travelling that much. I remember uh, Guardiola's first season at Bayern. They didn't go on tour. Uh, they, they were playing games in the middle of the summer like against these really weird... Uh, uh, lower, lower, lower league German sides, and they were mm. beating them like six, seven, one, or whatever. And I do think there is a tradition at Bayern to do that, though. I think it's yeah. something they've done it this year as well with okay. Ancelotti. So, okay. um, well, I mean, it, well, then that's just that just shows how organisationally brilliant Bayern are, because that's absolutely the best way to do preseason is training, 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 look, game against lower sides. Because the games, as Stobe said, they're about fitness, and they're not necessarily about like the result or anything like that. So, just minutes on the pitch, getting your getting your legs, getting your muscles right. And just training, training, training. We've, we've seen, obviously, um, Pochettino is a, is a manager that really believes in kind of hammering home the fitness aspect with his double, sometimes triple sessions on the training field. Um, but there was a sense that Tottenham kind of slowed up at the end of last season. Do you think there's any concern that it almost, he's obviously, he's, he's often talked about as a, as a child of uh, Marcello yeah, Bielsa and his style of thing. And be, one of the Bielsa's traits as a club manager is his teams do seem to peter out towards the end of the season because the intensity he demands of them both in pre-season and in the season do you reckon, is there any concern in Tottenham about how things are done, whether they can improve on what happened last year, make sure there isn't that kind of loss of energy in, in, in the last few months? I think the two things you'd say about Tottenham are, one, Pochettino's not going to change his methods. He's going to hammer home the fitness. He's going to do the double training sessions. He wants them to be the fittest, hardest running team in the league, as they were for most of last season. And didn't do them too bad, really, did it? That's and the... also their injury record wasn't bad. So mm. Tottenham are one of the best for the sport science. Mm. I mean, you look, you, you look at the problem with... Arsenal and Man United isn't necessarily that the players are tired, but their sports science has been has let them down quite a lot. Tottenham are good for that, but you have to look at Pochettino's record. It's not like you said; it's not just Tottenham. It's at Southampton too. Espanol's uh, right. He yeah. did. There was a, there was yeah. a, a similar kind of you know falling off basically yeah. towards the end with Espanol as well. And, it's and for Tottenham, the big worry will be if there's mental fatigue. You've got five players who were involved in that disastrous England Euro 2016 campaign. They're going to come back. He's going to start hammering them straight away are they going to be mentally fresh you know some of them might have to go out to Australia this week it's a long way and if they're not mentally sharp they don't hit the ground running mm-hmm. I mean it's, it's in, on the Australia point this is just reminding me when um 
when United went to the uh, I think the World Club Cup after winning the treble, they actually credited um, their break in the middle of the season where they didn't play the FA Cup and they went to Australia and did this nice little tournament. Mm-hmm. They actually said that refreshed them to come back and win the title. So <laughs> maybe there is a lovely thing in down under in Australia. There might be a kind of you know party atmosphere for Kane to kind of re refine his vigor and come back <laughs> refreshed. Maybe maybe that's wishful thinking on, as an England fan perhaps. But uh, Mo, who are the clubs that you think um, have got the most to kind of prove? We talked about the managers. Which which are the clubs that you think there's been a lot of transfers coming in? And the sides that really need to kind of use this summer to really galvanise themselves and come together. Oh, Manchester City and United are without a doubt the teams with the most approved. Chelsea had a terrible season. It's mostly the result of Jose Mourinho's massive ego. So I think the uh, it, Spurs and Arsenal are trending upwards. They'll keep doing so. I mean, Arsenal need to buy a striker, but whatever. Uh, no, United and City absolutely have. They 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 have City have repeatedly stalled. And that their project that they started way back when is now coming to an end with Yaya Toure is going to, surely going to depart. David Silva's getting older. Sergio Aguero is just plateaued as this sort of good but not great uh, forward or great but, great but not elite, whatever you want to. City fans might not like that yeah. one. That's well, okay, great but not elite. You know, you, <laughs> would, you wouldn't have him in the top three strikers in the world, would you? Let's be honest. Um, so... It, you know they, they need to prove they need to change and they've obviously now they've finally got their guy they've been they've been they've been shaping their club for week for weeks for years <laughs> uh, <laughs> building it to Pep Guardiola this is like the New York Knicks in 2010 with LeBron James they actually got LeBron James well they've gotten uh, Pep Guardiola now they need to prove that it was worth it they need to get the players in need to get the systems established and I mean United is just we've talked about this at length you know that they were awful they've been awful for three years they've got all this money they've spent all this money. They've got they've got the big man now. You just got to well Zlatan and Jose. They've got two big men. <laughs> they just now they just got to make it happen. So we, we we've talked a lot about like kind of institutional weaknesses of United over the past few months. Um, lack of directors of football, lack of those structures that other clubs like Bayern you know use to great effect. Is there a sense? I mean, United are almost like the last great dictatorship in Europe or something, where they they've lost Fergie and they've, <laughs> there's been like a, a hole in the club where they've needed this big personality to give kind of purpose and direction to every other element. I mean, look at this summer. Jose's in. He's clearly got an idea what he wants to do. The transfer business has been absolutely on point. Very quick, very effective, very efficient as well. Um, I mean, on Saturday, okay, it's the first game of preseason and all that, but team looked pretty, you know, they, they, they won in second gear because they could. And they, they looked, they already understand his methods and what he wanted to do. There's a clear difference in some parts of teams, even Van Gaal's football as well. Um, is, is there a sense that, you know, even if the systems and the institutional things in United might not be on point, you know, Mourinho, he is so far proven to be that guy. Like, he really does look yeah. like a, a United manager. Yeah, you're right. It's almost like Mourinho's the most obvious, maybe one of the last of the old school managers mm. left in terms of managing almost every aspect of the game, of the club from mm. the academy to the first team to the transfers. And he's hungry for it as well, isn't he? Yeah, he, want, he obviously wants to do it. I mean, when he's worked with technical directors, he's fallen out with them. <laughs> you know, he left Chelsea. The the rot started with Mark Lemonalo because he didn't get the players yeah. he wanted. Yeah last summer and now he's got that control and he's also got an agent who's very close with the powers that be at United and it kind of suits him. Personally, I think in modern football, it's too much for one person to take on mm. that much or you need to delegate exceptionally well to your to your recruitment guys, for example, especially over transfers. But Mourinho's always known what he wants. He's got the strength of personality. And I think if you're looking for as a like for like for Ferguson in that sense... He's certainly as close as you can get. Yeah, I mean, that's why he was always the the, the choice, really. I mean, um, uh, whatever United fans felt about his football uh, and about his attitude and the way he conducted himself with a big club in, in Spain and with Real Madrid, you know, he was, he's the, like, you know, he learned from Sir Bobby Robson. You know, so he's, 
he's he's got that old school mentality in him you know and so he was the only one because fergie in the the club the club united club united organizationally terrible as greg said they just there's no organization there it was just fergie was was a genius and it worked so then you're gonna get get rid of a genius you need to replace him with a genius otherwise mm. your club's gonna well i mean it's gonna do what do united what did for three yeah. years yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting to with, with bobby robson because i am um, i mean obviously yeah i wasn't quite there i'm not quite old enough <laughs> to be there when that all happened but um it, it, it was said that at the time they brought him in both at psv and at barcelona because they had a sense that the dressing room needed an old school british managers to kind yeah. of be you know kind of tell them what what it where it was at and shout the odds so um yeah i mean it, well i mean bobby robson came after Cruyff. So i mean mm. that you can tell you can see what they were thinking there they fell out with the barcelona hierarchy fell out with Cruyff. yeah and so they wanted someone who's like almost the polar opposite yeah they like, wanted a disciplinarian authoritarian basically, yeah but who would also get the players to love him you know in mm. that sort of way that bobby robson was just excellent at doing mm. and i guess Mourinho is looking at some of the uh, reactions <laughs> to his players over the years uh but moving on now we've we've looked at the kind of pre-season plans for a lot of the clubs now let's move on to the, how preseason might be shaping the transfer window as well. And we've already seen some big deals happen. Uh, Kante to Chelsea, um, as we were talking earlier, that four four two. He's the player that's going to make it work if it is going to work. But Stobes, you you've. Uh broke a story about he potentially wanted to go to Arsenal, but things didn't quite work out there on that deal. Yeah, I mean, for a start, it just shows you what happens in the transfer window. We've seen Arsenal sign Jack already. They wanted Kante. They thought the release clause was twenty million, but actually, uh, a condition of it was meant that it had to be negotiated with another club. Bit more, quite complicated. Right. But um, Chelsea originally wanted Rajan England, no secret of that. Didn't get him. They've actually got a superior player in Kante, I've got to say. Mm. Certainly, if, you, if you're looking at Premier League experience, someone who's proven it here. But yeah, I mean, Kante going into the Euros, he thought he was going to sign for Arsenal. Uh, you saw Wenger, Wenger's been gushing about him. Arsenal said they were going to make a bid and they never did. They never made a formal offer. It opened the door for Chelsea and Kante saw the opportunity to work with Conte, which was very exciting. Chelsea offered him a lot of money, he's on £100,000 a week and they were willing to pay the transfer fee and got it done in a week. Absolutely baffling that Arsenal didn't move for him. I know they got Granit Xhaka and Granit Xhaka is amazing, but you could pair Granit Xhaka and N'Golo Kante. That's actually a really, really mm. good midfield too. I have no idea. Well, I mean, you can tell what Arsenal were thinking. No, I'm not paying that. Yeah, Wenger, Wenger doesn't what didn't want to spend that money he thought if it's if it's 20 million pounds on the dot and 50 60,000 pounds a week we'll do him we'll add him but then it got to the stage where the the money went up he started questioning himself and then he looked at his squad and he said I've not I've got Granite Xhaka but I've also got Aaron Ramsey Jack Wilshere Santi Cazorla Francis Coquelin how can I justify fitting Kante in he's holding them back at this point isn't he really Wenger he's it's just Sign N'Golo Kante. He's he's amazing. And then you have N'Golo Kante and Granit Xhaka. And then you've got El Neni as a backup and Coquelin as a backup. You, uh, well, I, I, mean, think, last, I, I think Arsenal fans are already ready to explode. I mean, we saw it last year when they only signed Petr Cech and Wenger said there's no one else out there and then they just bombed, <laughs> they bombed the season and they're rubbish. And I think we're already starting to see it with some of the Arsenal fans. They signed Xhaka nice and early. It's a really good piece of business, but... If they go another summer without signing a striker, there's going to be riots outside the Emirates. Well, it's that dynamic presence. I mean, last season, Arsenal fans were absolutely like, mystified as to how Schneiderlin went to United because he was another player heavily linked to Arsenal. who seemed to fit the bill of what they needed, what they were looking for. Um, but yeah, Wenger's got a, a slightly more sluggish... I mean, Jacques is a very good player, but he's more of a kind of static holding midfielder than someone you, that's going to add a bit of drive You there. could pair them together. That's the mm. thing. I think, and in fact, in an ideal world, you would pair them together. But then they, they do have Elneny, who is a very yeah. good boxer. Oh, no, no, like, Elneny's another one. Yeah. I, I like Elneny. Elneny's a really good player. But I mean, uh, Elneny, I would say, is really ideally suited into more of a role, the, more of the same sort of role that Xhaka does. Mm. Uh, whereas... 
Kante is something completely different because he gives you he he can play box to box in most games. But then if you need someone to just sit there and hold in a bigger European away game, he can do that as well. Mm. And Arsenal have no one like that. They've just got Coquelin who runs around and tackles people. Which okay, it's fine if you're playing Hull. But as soon as you're playing Barcelona, you're just <laughs> gonna get ripped to pieces. In Wenger's defence, what he says is, "I only want top top quality, and there's not a lot out there." He's done well with signing. Let's be honest, he managed to get. Ozil in, yeah. Alexis was good business, Petacek was good business. I think Granit Xhaka will end up being good business, but the problem is he's still too careful. He's still too scared of making a mistake and everyone's saying, Wenger, why did you spend £20 million or £30 million on this player and it went wrong? And he treats the club's money like it's his own mm. and Arsenal are absolutely loaded. I think they've got £190 million in cash reserves in the bank so they can afford to spend it. Well, speaking of top, top talent and a top, top budget like that, Paul Pogba to United, it's still still dragging on and it's still probably the biggest story of the, the transfer window at the moment. But um, apparently Real Madrid have, have come in and asked for more time to get their money together. Where, where do you think this is at? I mean, you, you've said yeah. in the past that Pogba potentially prefers a move to Real Madrid, but United probably have the cash here and now to actually pay for him. So where do you, do you still think we'll probably see Real Madrid coming in late for him or United now the, the front runners? I think he's going to sign for United and United seem pretty confident. You're right, certainly... Real Madrid, if they want to get in the way, they will. I don't think it's a secret now that Pogba would prefer to go to Real Madrid. United are well down the line. They've already agreed a transfer fee. They've started talking to Juventus. They haven't made an official bid yet. And basically, it's up to Pogba to make his mind up. And as soon as he gives his thumbs up, which he hadn't as of Friday, Mm. as soon as he gives the thumbs up, United will rush it through as soon as possible. We've heard Jose Mourinho saying he's not going to wait until the end of August. He wants it done now. He's got another couple of weeks of holiday, so no rush in that sense. But United want it done in the next couple of weeks, and I think they will probably do it. It's another weird thing of like summer transfer windows and, and the preseason. Uh, in the past, I guess, agreeing something with the player and then going to the club, that, that would almost be what people would say was tapping up or something like that. How, how have things changed on that front? Is it just a bit more of a fluid situation when, when negotiations happen in the modern game? Nothing's changed. It's always gone on. <laughs> I've barely ever, I don't think I've ever heard of a deal where the player hasn't been sounded out first whether their salary demands whether they'd be interested every single transfer the players sounded out before there's contact made with the club it's just now it's a little bit more open you can do it pretty brazenly with that and get away with it yeah i, mean, I remember back in the day Ruben, uh the whole peter uh, kenyon peter kenyon yeah. scandalous at the time and, mm. and and people and people insiders were saying that like, happens all the time and people we, we all thought <laughs> no it can't happen all the time that's not <laughs> how amazon football manager you know, you, mm, have to agree, exactly, you, have to, yeah. you have to agree a fee first, but no, that's exactly But it's, it's weird how it was It was a massive, massive topic for, for years and people were threatened to sue over clubs and stuff like that. It never got resolved. It just seems to have dropped off the news agenda that these things happen now. Yeah, you're right. You remember when Man United signed Berbatov and like United yeah. basically yeah. kidnapped him because he was, he was supposed to be talking to Man City and United yeah. took him away without permission. But yeah, it happened all along. I think they're a bit more intelligent about it now. They've got, they've got the internet and they've got everything on their phones. And the player doesn't necessarily have to be present. Like when you look back on Ashley Cole or Rio Ferdinand mm, meeting yeah. people, they shouldn't have. The player's not necessarily there all the time. You know, with United and Pogba, it's been Mino Raiola acting on Pogba's behalf. Uh, he's already talking to United about Mkhitaryan and Ibrahimovic anyway. Mm, so yeah. how can you stop him talking about Pogba if they're in the same I'm, room? I'm here. I'm here. Well. <laughs> hey, guy called Pogba, you fancy? Yeah. He's not but, too bad. But how does some holidays get in the way of some of the transfers then? Or, or it, because of that kind of situation, does it not really matter? They just uh, it I, just carries on regardless. It doesn't matter. They've everyone's got a, everyone's got a mobile phone. Uh, if Pogba needs to do something quickly, I'm sure he'll cut his holidays short and he'll mm. he'll come over. If not, he'll do it. 
It'll do it after, but I don't think it makes uh, much difference. Yeah, no, a bit on the pog- on the Real Madrid thing. I have a feeling what's holding the thing up is Real Madrid's style has usually been to buy first, then sell later. Mm. Like at one point in 2009, they had Cristiano Ronaldo, Kaká, Robin, and Schneider on their squad. And because what they did was they bought those first two and then they sold the latter two who were already there. Mm. They sell late, they buy early, sell late. And I think what, what's complicating this is they need to sell first before they can buy. So they have, they have to sell mm. James Rodriguez or Isco or Tony Cruz or two of those three and to fund Pogba. Mm. And they, they, that's not how they get down. So now they're having a bit of a, I don't know, maybe they're having a well, bit it's, of a... It's almost like the power shift in Euros kind of shifted a little bit as well. Because, I mean, Real Madrid used to be kind of taken for granted that they could kind of blow anyone out of the water. If they wanted someone, they'd get in. Whereas United are finally flexing their muscles as, as one of the richest clubs in the world. Partly because they have to to kind of yeah. get back to the level they used to be at, where they could kind of spend a little bit less and just continue it on. So, I mean, do you, do you think this summer could be, you know, the first of many where United start to replace Real Madrid, and maybe the Premier League clubs with the TV money start to replace the top two in, in Spain for just blowing other clubs out of the water? Well, I think in future Deloitte annual money reports that United are going to be top, especially if they're in the Champions League with the Premier League money, with the might of their commercial deals. I think one of the issues with Pogba and Real Madrid is. Yeah, you're right. United have more money. They can afford to spend more. They want to spend £100 million plus on a player. Whereas for Real Madrid, breaking the transfer window uh, record again might annoy Bale and Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. £300,000 a week. I don't know what that is in Euros, but that wouldn't put him far off Ronaldo. And mm. I think it'd be a little <laughs> bit more than what Bale's on at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. you've got dressing room issues there as well. Whereas if he goes to United, you don't quite have those... Same issues because yeah. there's no superstar yeah. there already. That's yeah, real. I mean, if you, if they give it to they give him that, then they've got to give Ramos a new deal, Bale a new deal, Modric a new deal, Cruz a new deal, and they, then suddenly their wage bill is as big as Barcelona's. So, yeah, you can see why it would they'll be more hesitant about money for once, which is obviously weird to say about Real Madrid. <laughs> but I mean, you know, someone someone's obviously got their hands on the steering wheel over there. Mm, mm, absolutely. Well, that that's that's kind of I guess the glamorous side of a uh, preseason transfer business. One of the more practical ones, and um, there's been another. Injury for Joe Gomez for Liverpool, which has set set Liverpool's plans for defence back a little bit. And so there is talk now they're going to bring in someone to replace uh, Joe Gomez in the short term. Um, and the guy they've, they've apparently picked is Ragnar Klavan, who plays for Augsburg in Germany. Um, he's an older player, I think 30 years of age. So he's, he's not someone they're going to be expecting to build the team around the long term. Um, but what, what do you think of the idea of, of short-term signings like this? Is it Does it ever work out well? Is it always become a bit of a compromise in the end, Stopes? I think it helps if the manager knows the player and trusts them. Liverpool made a short-term signing in January when they got Stephen Corker. Mm. And that's <laughs> yeah. how that worked out. You know, So personally, I don't see that. I think you should always be looking at the longer-term option. And if there's not a lo- longer-term option, look to the academy. You know, yeah. Klopp's got a good record of bringing players through the academy. If, you're, if, if this guy's good, great. But if he's not better than a kid who can come through and get the experience, I don't think Liverpool should be going that way. But we'll see. He might, he, he might be all right. Hopefully Klopp knows what, what he's like. And uh, I actually fancy Liverpool to have a decent season next year. Mm. No, Euro- no, no Europe, I think, would suit Klopp. But obviously, big issue if they've only got two fit centre backs. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one, isn't it? This, this signing, but I think maybe he's just probably looking to get his own version of Colo Torre, as in his own version of a experienced veteran who who can come in and play like fifteen games a season when everyone else is injured. I mean, they gave Mamadou Saka as a number three shirt today, so and he's been cleared obviously of his uh, of his drug ban that was. Uh, is that apparently absolute rubbish from yeah, the start? There, UEFA yeah. just they dropped the ball. They completely time. screwed that up. So he's been he's completing the clear now. So when he comes back, you'd imagine he'll be. Uh, he'll be raring to go. He'll be the leader of that defence once again as he was. So, I mean, 
I don't. I think it can work as long as this guy is is a, it can, can adapt to the Premier League at thirty years old. That's not necessarily going to be given. He's obviously happy with Lovren, Sacco, Matip yeah. as his main centre backs. Yeah, I mean Matip. I'm going to be very interested to see how he does. He's had a knock as well, apparently, um, which has obviously added to the anxieties about fitness problems on Liverpool, especially given Klopp's record last season, which was very, very bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's six foot four. I think he's a big guy. You know, should help sort out their defensive set piece problems, which were a big issue last year. Um, but talking about players that have to adapt to the Premier League, um, Stoves, you've got an, another line on, uh, Sofian Buffal, who is apparently coming over to England. But we're not entirely sure which club. There's, been a, there's a few that are in for him at the moment. Yeah, he's really highly rated. I mean, people at Lille comparing him to Eden Hazard, I don't think, they don't say he's that level, but similar style of player, mm. loves to get on the ball and dribble. Watford have made a bid uh, today, Monday, everyone. Uh, 20 million euros, they bid for him. I can't see it happening. Very ambitious from Watford because every big club in Europe has been watching yeah. Buffal, which includes Arsenal, includes Chelsea. Uh, Tottenham and Southampton are very keen as well. Sevilla are also interested. So I think he'd prefer to go to the Premier League, but Sevilla obviously, mm. you know, Europa League winners, big club. Shows, shows. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about how, you know, this almost new rich, new money for the second and third tier Premier League teams means they can compete for these kind of players. It's yet another example of a player who a couple of years ago would have been going to a top four or five club mm. in the Premier League, potentially going to a mid-table club. But Watford have made their move, very brave move, very ambitious, can't blame them, but I don't think he'll go there. They, yeah. haven't, really, they haven't really got a player like him either, Watford. They were quite a stodgy team last year. Not, not, not taking it away from them, but they played yeah. how they did and they were actually quite good but they didn't quite have that kind of ball playing winger guy to really get a teams and get behind them mm. could almost be I mean if he does well and he does go to Watford could almost be their pie potentially oh, like a bit of inspiration absolutely I mean he's really he's really really good I don't think he'll go Sevilla because I think Sevilla have bought uh, they're buying play- every single hipster player mm. under well, the sun, they've, 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 bought, they've bought six <laughs> players so far in this transfer window and five of them play attacking midfield so <laughs> yeah. uh, it's clear what Sam Powell is planning to do with his team and that's mm. going to be they're going to be fun to watch but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I think Premier League. He'll go to the Premier League. From what I've seen of him, he's uh, he's really very good. Um, lot great vision, great uh, great movement on the ball. Um, like Greg says, I can't see him going to Watford. That's a bit that's a bit of a reach. But uh, wherever he does end up, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see how he adapts to the Premier League because Liga always produces some pretty good talent for the Premier League. But then last season we saw uh, Iturbe uh, go to Bournemouth. He didn't really do anything, even. Uh, Christian Atsu is another young dribbler who hasn't really lit up yeah. the Premier League as people expected on loan from Chelsea. So it'll be interesting to see whether his kind of ability to get on the ball and get past people in France can translate to the English top flight. Yeah, and part of that is choosing the right club. So if you go to Southampton, you've got a French-speaking manager who can yeah. help you on. Yeah. You go to Tottenham, you've got uh, a tactical manager who coached other attacking midfielders like Lamella and Christian Eriksen massively improving him. I think he's the kind of player Tottenham need, really. They're going for this Nkudu, who's more of an out-and-out winger, but I think Tottenham really needs someone who can get on the ball and take someone on and make something happen. I mean, one of the issues with Buffao is actually he uh, he had pretty serious knee injury, had, went, underwent surgery in May, so he'd missed at least the first couple of months of the season. So that might be take, putting a few of the clubs off making a bid at this stage or until now. But I think for Tottenham or Southampton, it'd be a great signing. So if he has got this injury problem, do you think it's more of a case of by this year, kind of expect more from him next season? No, he'll get plenty of football and he'll be back. He'll be back in three or four months. So mm. uh, not ideal, of course, but you're looking at a long-term signing. If you're looking at a 22-year-old for four or five years, I think it makes a lot of sense still. And he's cheap, you know, in terms of the market, I mean, 20 million euros is quite a lot of money, but 
comparatively cheap for a player that highly rated. And just as you mentioned there, Nkudu to uh, Tottenham, um, is he going to be the replacement for NG? Or, or what's the kind of plan behind that? I think that's the plan. Tottenham have been pretty disappointed with Clinton NG, both in the matches he's played and in training. Nkudu actually caught their eye when they were scouting Michi Batshawi, who obviously wow. they didn't get. He ended up going to Chelsea. But, uh, you know, he's more of a driven. I think NG they saw as a player who'd look to get in behind onto through balls. Mm. And that's not really how Tottenham looked to play. Whereas I think Nkudu is more of a player. I haven't seen a lot. Well, I haven't seen any of him really. He's more of a player who wants the ball to his feet and then he'll look to take people on. But so supposedly a good player. From what I've heard, Buffal's actually stronger, but it'll be interesting to see what Tottenham do there. But it sounds like it's going to happen with NG possibly going the other way on loan. Well, just to wrap up the pod, we're going to have a look at the winners and losers of, of pre-season so far in terms of transfers, in terms of preparation. Okay, it's very early on, but if there are any <laughs> a couple of clubs that you think are doing things well or doing things poorly, or if not poorly, just have to improve. Uh, it'd be great to hear your thoughts. So, Mo, let's go first with, with yourself. I, I think uh, I think Barcelona and Bayern Munich have done excellently so far. Uh, Barcelona secured uh, Samuel Mtiti and Lucas Dean for basically the same price as Arsenal paid for uh, for Granit Xhaka, which is ridiculous when you think of how good Mtiti looked at the Euros. Um, and they've, they've, oh, sorry, and Denis Suarez too. Three players for the same price as uh, Granit Xhaka. Yeah, so mm. that's that's very well done, especially for a club like Barcelona who are usually pretty terrible in the transfer market. They overpay and they take they do deals late. Uh, and Bayern Munich, I mean, they haven't really made the one big move, but I mean, is, that's... Renato kind of consolidating their position, isn't Renato it? Renato Sanchez is just, it's just stupendous. Oh, and of course, Juventus have been, have played this window outrageously well so far. And now apparently they're going, I mean, they're going to lose Pogba, but Higuain now? I mean, they're just Bayern Munichin the, the Serie A, aren't they? <laughs> Well, Stowe's what about yourself? The big one for me has got to be Man United, I think. Like we mentioned earlier, that Chelsea year when they managed to get Costa and Fabregas in early. Mm. Mourinho's clearly dictating the policies, getting the players he's want, he wants. Got the mix between the youth of an Eric Bally and the experienced winning, proven winning mentality and quality of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I think Mkhitaryan potentially is a fantastic signing. Mm. I mean, I'd rather he didn't play off the right rather either you'd rather him in a central role rather than I think Wayne Rooney's going to end up starting number 10 which might be a bit frustrating for United fans but I think United are looking pretty good and if they get Paul Pogba I mean they'll be going for the title and there's no chance of them finishing outside the top four next year and any clubs that you think should be doing better I would say Tottenham Uh, as well as they've done scouting they need they should have been done some business by now and and of course Arsenal who have still not signed a striker Arsenal kind of becoming a given on these questions. Well, well, I'd say Tottenham, Arsenal and Leicester. Three teams in the Champions League next year. Mm. Uh, Arsenal signed one player and they're still screaming out for a striker. And if they do sign someone, it's probably going to be just to appease the fans. (laughs) Uh, Leicester have lost their most important player last season. And apparently Mahrez might be getting into as well. Mahrez might leave too. They've kept Jamie Vardy, but without Mahrez and Kante, is that even going to work? And I agree, Tottenham, they've got a real opportunity now. You know, they're a big club. They're building this new stadium. They're in the Champions League. They've got an exciting manager. You know, as good as an Nkudu is, you know, or a Wanyama, it's not particularly inspiring for Tottenham. I think they could 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 have pushed a bit harder to sign someone with a bit of X factor. Then again, I mean, Tottenham have signed Janssen as well. I mean, Jack, who's a very good player, has gone to Arsenal. Are we, are we falling into the, the cliche of banging on about the North London clubs a little bit here? Or no, I, th- I think I think Arsenal uh, need just need, they, they've done okay, not done badly. Grant Jack is a great player, but I mean, they passed on Kante and they've yet to sign 
a, a starting centre forward. And of course, we haven't mentioned the fact that they've not signed a starting centre half. Mertesacker is yet another year older, yet another mm-hmm. mile per hour slower. Uh, Gabriel, it still doesn't look like he's going to... He, Gabriel looks like the Brazilian Phil Jones at this point. Mm-hmm. And so it's just Laurent Koscielny versus the world. And I mean, you know, I like Laurent Koscielny as a defender. He's a good defender, but he's not that good. He's not Baresi and Maldini in one person. <laughs> playing coached by uh helena Hel- Hel- herrera so you know it's awesome. you could have just said yap stam as the short yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> big dutch man and of course with, with tottenham i mean it is really i mean run young was a great signing and um vincent jansen's a great sign they just need that x factor they needed it last season frankly and they, need, yeah. they definitely need it this season they need someone with some stardust if tottenham had mares or Payet last season someone to do that something out of nothing i mean yep. they've got harry kane who's brilliant in the box but there's something out of nothing the player who can drop a shoulder and go past people i think tottenham are just being so careful part of it they've got the stadium to build partly they've been burnt you know signed soldado and paulinho yeah, and these yeah. duds in recent years and partly they think they can find value in the market let's not forget they spent less than 10 million pounds on eric Dyer and deli ali combined so <laughs> they know what they're doing but Mo's right. If they could have signed a big name, made a little bit more of a statement, that would have been that would have been favourable. But they still might. So we have a few more weeks left to go for the rest of the preseason leading up to the to August. I mean, I guess it's a case of watch this space for the teams that haven't quite done the business expected yet, and you know, watch out for the ones that have. So um, yeah, thanks once again for joining us for Squawker Talker. I've been your host, Greg Johnson. I mean, as ever, Squawker.com is right there on the internet for you to click on and read our latest analysis exclusive reports from Stobart, wonderful features by Mo, um, and many other features and, and reports and analysis and all the rest of it. You can find <laughs> yeah. it all on the website anyway. We're on Twitter at Squawker as well. Um, we're also on Facebook if you want to search for us and we're have everywhere. a click. We're We are ubiquitous. We, we are. We're getting everywhere. Yeah. Snapchat and everything, everything. Um, of course, uh, subscribe to iTunes for more podcasts to come in pre-season and the season ahead. And that's my exhaustive plugging done for the day. So, Greg, thanks for joining us. Cheers, Greg. I'm going to open this door in a it's minute. It's getting a bit hot. And thank you, Mo, as well. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. See you soon.